Gilbert Franco Granados, Lauren Catuzzi Grancolos and her unborn child, Elvira Granito, Winston Arthur Grant, Christopher S. Gray, Ian J. Gray, James Michael Gray, Tara McLeod Gray, John M. Grazioso, Timothy George Grazioso, Derek Arthur Green, Wade B. Green, Wanda Anita Green, Elaine Myra Greenberg, Donald Freeman Green, Gail R. Green, James Arthur Greenleaf Jr., and my brother Kevin James Murphy. Kevin, we love and miss you. Beth, Connor, and Caitlin know that you are with them every day. We have all had the privilege of seeing Beth's strength and the incredible job she has done, and we know how proud you are of your family. We're lucky to cherish the time we have together, and we are grateful to be part of their lives. They are close and loving as a family can be, and your spirit lives on with them. And I would also like to thank everyone who has been part of this memorial service for the past 22 years. You have been here with us to pay tribute to our loved ones and to make sure they are remembered and honored. Over the years, you have treated us with respect and with compassion. Your actions allow us to keep our focus on our family members who are no longer with us. Thank you all for being here with us. May God bless you and may God bless America. And my grandfather, firefighter Robert James Crawford. Being your granddaughter is something I will always be so grateful for and a title I am blessed to have. I'm so proud to be part of you and to be able to carry you with me wherever I go. Our hero, we love you to the moon and back. Keep watching over us. We know you're always close. Eileen Marsha Greenstein. Elizabeth Martin Gregg. Denise Marie Gregory. Donald H. Gregory. Florence Moran Gregory. Pedro Graham. John Michael Griffin. Tawana Sherry Griffin. Joan Donna Griffith. Warren Grifka. Ramon B. Grijalvo. Joseph F. Grillo. David Joseph Grimner. Francis okay, uh, welcome. Edward It is uh, Monday, 11 September, in the Linda year of our Lord, 2023. Ron. If we can just do that. Keep that on split screen. Um, Real America's Voice coverage with the war room of uh, remembrance of 9-11, both the individuals and the event, uh, and uh, what led up to it and what has happened to our country and the world since then. Let's go. We've got live coverage with Tara Dahl and David Zier at the location. Let's go to, uh, to David and Tara. David, uh, where are you guys in relation to where the reading of the names are taking place? 
We're right across from the reflecting pools, right near the Glades Park, the Memorial Park, and right outside the fire department, uh, Memorial Engine 343, Ladder 10, which lost five firefighters. And my friend Pete went down, one of my best friends in Building 2 in the South Tower, which went down in a quick 55 minutes. Um, right across from us here, we're outside of O'Hara's Pub. We're right behind Trinity Church, St. Paul's, which was uh, George Washington's church, 3,000 First responders got, responders got respite in there and were fed for months after the attacks. It was miraculously unscathed uh, during the attacks. And these buildings we're at right now were uh, covered in debris and uh, they made a full recovery. Mm -hmm. uh, David, we just, uh, we just had the uh, commemoration of the South Tower coming down at 9.58. And for the audience, Maybe they've not been with us over the years. They do a reading of the names of all the individuals, the 2,977 that lost their lives. The reading of the names, and they play. There you heard Amazing Grace being played in the background. There's music the entire time. Um, and then at 10.28, the North Tower comes down, and we will break for that also. Uh, David, give us, uh, succinctly give us, you probably better than anybody, have covered this literally from 93. Give us the, what led to this from 1993 to the event itself? Well, the attacks were inspired. Uh, bin Laden was inspired by the Egypt air flight that crashed off of Long Island in Nantucket when the pilot dove into the sea with that 767. But this goes way back. There's been 25-year history of post and pre-9-11 attacks on New York City, the Al-Farouk mosques in Brooklyn, the Al-Salam mosques in, in Jersey City uh, were radicalized by the blind sheikh who came here after being thrown out of Egypt for his involvement in killing Anwar Sadat after the Camp David Peace Accord. You know, they came here, they assembled, they planned on breaking El Sayyid Nusser out of prison, who killed Mayor Kahana in the Marriott, Mar in the Marriott East Side, uh, but it led to more, and they wanted to blow up 13 synagogues, kidnap Al D'Amato's uh, daughter, but uh, KSM sent his nephew here, Ramzi Youssef, in 92, and he said, why are you guys thinking so small? So we taught him how to make this uraic acid, uh, you know, ammonium nitrate diesel fertilizer bomb, um, and they put 1,500 pounds of it in a rider truck rental in the wrong parking garage at the WTC. It killed six, wounded a thousand. It could have been a lot worse. And it was a New York City motor pool uh, guy, a BOCES educated guy, uh, vocation, who solved it because the FBI couldn't get the VIN number uh, to match up from the axle on that rental van. And he said, wait, there's another book on rentals. It's masked. So we, uh, he unlocked uh, the whole thing and they invited uh, Mahmoud uh, Abu Halima and, and Mohammed Salome back to the rider truck rental in Jersey and arrested them when they went back to get their deposit. Uh, but this unfolded even further because Sheikh Rahman, three months later, was going to blow up the St. Regis Hotel, the U.N., the Sudanese embassy apparently gave them access to the U.N. parking garage, uh, the GW Bridge, FBI headquarters, the Midtown Tunnel, the Holland Tunnel. They bought 10,000 gallons of diesel fuel from a gas station owner, a Muslim gas station owner in Yonkers, New York. Um, and... Um, they were caught on that day of terror. And things, uh, you know, devolved from there, and there's been more attacks. And just remember, before 9-11, there was a $32 million weapons plot broken up in northern Jersey, in the Jersey City area. That rarely gets talked about, where they were going to—it was an ATF sting, and they rounded up Islamic fundamentalists at that point in, ta in time. Um, but even before 9-11, um, they killed— um, uh, Masood, the Lion of Pangir, two days before, on August 9th, who had 8,000 troops at the Northern Alliance. He was keeping the Taliban at bay or having success against them. And that's when bin Laden declared war on the West. Talk to me about, uh, talk to me about that day, and uh, we'll talk about the investigation later, because I think there's still, I believe, still more unanswered questions than answered. But talk to me about your recollections uh, from that day. Well, I was out on Long Island. I heard that my friend Pete Brennan in Rescue 4 uh, might have been 
going up with the FDNY. We were waiting for word back, and that tower fell first. Uh, very tragic. I lost other friends, and my sister lost 81 clients. It's impacted my family, friends, fiancés, uh, family members of mine, and fathers were lost, and it impacted Long Island, lost 500 people about that day. Jersey lost a ton of people. So it's really impacted everybody's lives here. And for the people on the ground here who are working the 9-11 site, they dispel the theories about Building 7. Uh, that had 10 floors on fire for seven hours straight. And that superstructure was rocked. Five buildings went down that day. They found fuselage three and four blocks away, a jet engine three blocks away that went through the towers. Thousands witnessed the attacks. It was truly a, a terrible day. Uh, it's really impacted Long Island. I'm a little encouraged, uh, impacted New York, the New York area, and the country. And I'm encouraged here today, though, because we just interviewed people from Italy, uh, Spain, England. They're coming from all over the world. I just spoke to a couple from the Netherlands. And they know what happened here that day uh, when radical jihad, you know, was declared on, on the West and the United States. And we uncovered so many attacks since then. The JFK gas pipeline attack. A good friend of mine was the team leader for the FBI JTTF on that. They broke up the Dix Hills uh, plot, the assassination plot, the Times Square bomber put the fuse in backwards so it didn't kill people in Times Square. The subway bombers, the Chelsea uh, pressure cooker bombers, Jersey had a pressure had bombs set there as well that went off. So, um, you know, this this is a very long history of events. New York has been under assault. They foiled the plot to blow up the Brooklyn Bridge in 2003. Uh, and the list just goes on and on here. And um, people have to recognize this for what it really was. We were caught off guard. There were intelligence gaps. There was walls put up in 95, further walls between the CIA and the FBI. We arrested Zacharias Massawi, the 20th uh, hijacker for asking crazy questions when he was enrolled in flight, flight school, but they let him go and they didn't get a warrant to search his apartment. Uh, and after 9-11, they went and finally got that and they found the uh, plot, um, you know, on his laptop. Um, so, yes, there was missteps made, um, but I don't think the United States government or the, at least the White House, you know, did not know about this. There was no credible specific threats. They knew something was going on. And just remember that these guys went to the flight schools here after coming over from the Hamburg cell, which had 29 Islamic radicals in there, with Ramzi bin Al-Sheib and Mohammed Atta, who was the signer of the lease in the Netherlands. They planned this from the internet cafes in the Netherlands. And when they came here, it was only a few months before that a lot of them started taking the flight lessons. It wasn't like a year ahead. So there was a, an agent in Arizona who raised the red flag. There was, but they didn't have the coordination on the counterterrorism like they did post 9-11. Uh, so it's a truly uh, tragic day. Uh, you know, for New Yorkers, but we're getting through. We're going to come back to the investigation in a second, because I, I still believe there are many more unanswered questions than the, than have been put forward to the American people. Particularly, I am not a big fan of the 9-11 uh, with the, what is it, 17, 20 pages redacted. Uh, but I'll come back to you in a second, right. uh, David. Uh, Tara, you, you uh, have spent a lot of your life focused on the aftermath of what happened in the Middle East particularly with the Christian persecution in Afghanistan and, uh, and particularly in Iraq. Tell us about it. Yeah, thank you, Steve. I spent time, you know, so many Americans' lives were changed on this day 22 years ago. People left their careers and they joined the military to serve overseas in Afghanistan and Iraq. I served in Afghanistan, Steve, with the American Red Cross, uh, serving our troops. And then I went back and embedded with the U.S. Marines in Helmand Province. I spent six months in Iraq and to Crete, uh, serving with the American Red Cross as well, just serving our troops. And so the toll that was taken on so many people that volunteered to pick up arms and go fight for our nation is, is what we're remembering today. But this goes back, it's a time to really reflect in the last 22 years on really the global war on terrorism and look at it and look at our failures, look at what worked and, and who was the real enemy that we were fighting. Well, that was something that I spent a lot of time on the ground, like you said, Steve, um, and, and wrote a lot for Breitbart. You were the one person, Breitbart was the one news organization that was really covering the Arab Spring and pushing back on that uh, Islamist 
control over these Arab governments. And that plan was a 20-year plan, remember, by al-Qaeda. The Arab Spring was, it was a 20-year plan. And what al-Qaeda's 20-year plan was is they wanted to remove those Arab secular dictators and put in Islamist governments. And so when we look back at the 20 years of global fighting global war on terrorism, one thing that people really need to keep in mind is this was really started after World War One with the collapse of the Ottoman Empire, and it was the establishment of the Muslim Brotherhood in 1928. That's where Osama bin Laden really came from. That's where Ayman Zahiri's his ideology came from. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who is now in Guantanamo, that's where that ideology really came from. But it turned to that militant Islamic terrorism. And so what we're fighting when we look back now with Afghanistan, you know, we initially went into Afghanistan after 9/11. We took out the Taliban. We defeated al-Qaeda with a very small special forces unit, was CIA. And remember, we worked with the Northern Alliance. And as David had mentioned, Ahmad Massoud, his Alina Panjshir, was assassinated the day before 9-11. I interviewed his son last year about what's happening now in Afghanistan and what the resistance is doing in Afghanistan. And just to look back at where we are now in Afghanistan, where we are in Iraq, and the overall global war on terrorism. And I think some of the key mistakes that, Steve, that we made early on is a we didn't focus on Pakistan you know we took our eye off of Pakistan Pakistan Steve is where the Taliban were getting all their training the Haqqani network they were part of a, the arm of the ISI of the Pakistani intelligence services and so we really kind of missed that boat there but um, what we really need to focus on, I think, today is the lives of the lives of those that served overseas, and to make sure that you know they're not in vain. And look at what Biden did in Afghanistan; he completely withdrew now. And so all these service members who sacrificed, and I went over there, I saw it firsthand. I was in the hospitals with them when they came back, and it's just we are in a position of weakness now under this Biden administration. He's portrayed a, as um, just a sense of weakness to all of our enemies. So I would say that. We we are more vulnerable now today than we were pre-9-11. The former KGB colonel, Vladimir Putin, who, by the way, is no friend of the United States, called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS conference in South Africa as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to fall. We call this the de-dollarization movement. Now, as demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar weakens. That is why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Bannon, that's B-A-N-N-O-N, to 989898 for your free info kit on gold. With thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Text Bannon to 989898. That's Bannon at 989898 to claim your free information kit. Use your agency. Do it today. David, um, David, talk to me about uh, the commemoration itself. I tell you, we're going to go to, give me a minute on, on how New York remembers this. It's 22 years after people said after the 20th, this thing would fade, but it looks like there's still a lot of focus on this. Talk to me about the day itself. Well, there's a lot of attendance here. You know, like I said, people from around the world, a lot of FDNY, a lot of NYPD, a lot of people don't want to come on camera because they lost so many people and they're, they're still upset about it. It's still raw. 22 uh, years later. Uh, but like I told you last year, uh, you know, I don't know if enough people know about what really happened here and what led up, you know, to this this incredible history of terrorism and the battle that was going on between the JTTF, you know, in New York in, in particular. And uh, it went on for a really long time. I, I wish more people understood, uh, you know, the threats and uh, what was going on here. Um, but uh, I got to say um, that um, there's there's a lot of people here uh, today. Uh, it's a lot of security. Uh, security's tighter 
than uh, previous years here as well. Um, but, um, you know, I know uh, Rudy Giuliani we were hoping to catch up with after the ceremony. Um, you know, we're going to get, uh, hopefully we'll get some more perspectives. Yeah. Just, just hang on for one second. You guys stay right there. I want to go to, uh, uh, Tara just mentioned about people's lives changing. I want to bring in now Congressman Eli Crane, formerly Petty Officer Eli Crane. Uh, Eli joins us. Eli, uh, talk to us about the impact of 9-11 on your life personally. Uh, thanks, Steve, for having me. Uh, 22 years ago, my life changed forever. Um, I was at the University of Arizona doing a program called the Ranger Challenge early in the morning, preparing to uh, join the military. And then I was going to go do my class load for the day. And I remember turning on the radio after I left the program and heard all the chatter. I would listen to talk radio and uh, of the towers being attacked. And I remember I went to the house I was living in and I woke up all the guys in the house so that they could come listen and watch this with me. And I remember I took the next couple of days to think about it and pray about it. And I remember calling my parents and telling them that I was going to go enlist in the uh, Navy. And, uh, you know, they weren't too happy to hear about it because I was a senior. I had about a year left to graduate. And, uh, but I just knew that the nation was going to need the next generation to step up and go fight this. We didn't have all the details at the time. Um, I just knew that the nation needed the next generation to step up. And uh, so it took me about a week and a half to get on a bird and uh, fly to Great Lakes, uh, Illinois, where I went to a naval boot camp and then spent the next five years trying to become a Navy SEAL. And once I did that, I ended up, uh, you know, doing three deployments, all, all three of them to Iraq. And as I, as I sit here and reflect and watch the videos, Steve, of the planes being attacked and the comms with the air traffic controllers and, you know, people in the skies and, you know, people calling from the towers, you know, talking about how hot the flames are, it pisses me off. And it pisses me off, Steve, because I think about, when I'm in the Homeland Security Committee room and I sit there and I look at my counterparts on the other side of the aisle and we're talking about border security and they don't want to hear it, and I, I think about how many people it took, only 19 people, to pull off those attacks, and we know that they had support networks, but I'm, it's not that big of a number. And I think of just in the last couple of years, there's been hundreds of people on the terror watch list that have been encountered at the southern border. And my Democratic colleagues won't even acknowledge the basics, the basics, Steve, of security systems. And a part of that is a wall and how important a wall or a barrier or a fence are to any security system. They play politics, and they put politics above America and American lives. And I hate to make this political, Steve, but it is po po this has political implications. And when people play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. And that we are headed right back for another moment like that, if not worse. And it just really pisses me off. What Can you just drill down that for a second? Because you actually went and did something after 9-11 to serve your country and to make sure this didn't happen again. I mean, today we're sitting here in New York City. Eric Adams just reiterated yesterday there's 110,000 illegal aliens that have come through on this uh, on this invasion of the southern border just in the metropolitan New York City area alone. So when you're sitting there in Homeland Security, is, is the opposition and even rhino Republicans, are they – do they not remember 9-11? Do they not remember the details of it? Do they not remember the sacrifice of innocent Americans and then folks like yourself that stepped up to the plate and put yourself in harm's way so it wouldn't happen again? You know, I won't say that they won't remember it, Steve, but they, they don't move with the purpose as if it could happen again. You know, I think if, I think if we were to transport ourselves back to September 12, 2001, and, and that was fresh on people's minds. I don't think you would see act, people acting on both sides of the aisle like we do today. I think you would see them moving with a purpose as in, hey, we've got to actually take this seriously. But how quickly we forget. 
we are prone to wander as human beings. And that, and that's what I see uh, across the board. And, you know, it's like, Steve, when I think about all the missions that myself and my teammates went on, how many times we put our life at risk to, you know, go over there, you know, get a, you know, high value target, plan an op, and then go after, you know, that individual, the killer, capture that individual. Every time we rolled the dice, leaving the wire, coming back home. And how many, how many more years and more deployments of other SEAL teams, Rangers, Special Forces guys, Marine units, Army soldiers, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it just really, it really bothers me because when you look at the leadership in the military, how political it is, how political it's become, and you just see all the nonsense um, that, that the commanders and the admirals and the generals are going on, you know, going along with today, whether it's diversity, equity, inclusion, or any of the social engineering that's going on in our military it really terrifies me, man, because I know, I know how many enemies we have out there that are very, very cunning. They're very smart. They're very dangerous, and they hate. And I use I don't use that word lightly, Steve. They hate us, and it it, it really bothers me that you know um, we've gotten to the place that we're at in this country. Not only where it seems as if we've forgotten how dangerous the world is. Um, but that we put politics over the safety of Americans. Have we, in your mind, have we uh, given all the expenditure of blood and treasure in Iraq, in Afghanistan? Was it 8,000, I think, KIAs, 50,000 wounded, PTSD, suicides every day, $9 trillion spent on both of it? Did, did, we, did we actually begin to solve the problem that 9-11 exposed? I, I, don't think we've, I don't think we've solved any problems, Steve, honestly. I, I think we're just rolling right into Ukraine. Another, you know, forever war. You just keep that, you know, keep that dollar, you know, tachometer rolling. I mean, they're just, we're just going to, we just continue to escalate in Ukraine. No, nobody from Afghanistan, you know, is being held accountable with all the PTSD, all the blood, all the treasure you just mentioned. We're just going to roll that into Ukraine. And, uh, you know, I can't believe it at times when I sit there either on the house floor, I walk around and I talk to other individuals, you know, even some of them who are veterans. And I'll be like, what, what are, what are we doing? I mean, there's no objective. And, you know, there's no accountability for the funds that we're sending over there. You know, what happens? What happens if any of this talk that you hear on Russian television, you know, where they send a, you know, nuclear tip ICBM across the pond and uh, you watch the nearest city to you, whether it's Phoenix or Dallas or Chicago or Seattle, become a mushroom cloud? Is it going to be worth it then? Is it going to be worth it then? Because you have, you can't just ignore, you know, what could possibly happen, Steve. You have to go to the most severe possible outcome and think about, hey, is the juice worth the squeeze? Is this worth what we're doing in Ukraine right now? And, and we are so arrogant, Steve. This government is so arrogant, so ignorant, so foolish. We've had it so good for so long that it's just like, we have nobody that counts the cost anymore. Uh, we're about a minute away from the uh, commemoration of the uh, of the North Tower coming down. Uh, what are your constituents out in Arizona when they think about nine eleven? What are the thoughts that come to the folks out there that you represent? You know, Steve, they have a. I, I represent a very patriotic district, um, and they're, they they. They, they don't forget, but they see the same thing that I'm seeing. They see how it correlates to today. They see that we haven't learned the lesson. They see us jumping right into another forever war as we continue to escalate, and they're disgusted by it. They're disgusted by it. And they know, they know that there are Americans hurting all over this country. They're, they know that there are Americans in Hawaii right now 
that are homeless and in very in horrible condition, but they see politicians who will attach monies to go help Hawaiians, right, with money to fund Ukraine. And you can't vote. You have to vote on both at the same time. That's how cynical, that's how, you know, diabolical these folks are in Washington, D.C., and they're disgusted by it. Eli, can you hang on for one second? Eli Crane by phone. We have a team there. We're going to go live to the uh, site right now. Do you get the feeling that something bad is going to happen soon? (laughs) Hey, being here in the cockpit of the war room, I certainly do. But between the distractions and smoke screens in the media, we probably won't see it coming. That's why it's smart to invest in emergency food right away. As they say, it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. My Patriot Supply is the nation's leader in high-quality emergency food. Let me repeat that. My Patriot Supply is the nation's leader in high-quality emergency food. Head to my website, mypatriotsupply.com, and you'll save 200 bucks on your three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. Enjoy a wide variety of delicious meals, offering over 2,000 calories every day for optimum strength under incredible stress. Stock up before panic buying sets in. Free shipping is automatic, and your order ships fast. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com, MyPatriotSupply.com. Karen Ann Kincaid. Amy R. King. Andrew M. King. Lucille Teresa King. Robert King Jr. Lisa King Johnson. Brian K. Kinney. Takashi Kinoshita. Chris Michael Kirby. Let, Robert let me go. Kirkpatrick. It, Eli, if you can just hang Howard on for one second. Perry can I go Kirsten. to Tara Dahl? I want to go to Tara Dahl. We have a fireman, Ken uh, Kerrigan, Corrigan, who's there. Uh, I understand he doesn't have an IFB. Uh, Tara, just ask him and David, his recollections. He was there on 9-11, his recollections of that day. Okay. We'll do. We have Ken Corrigan okay. with us. Yeah. He, sir, he was a volunteer firefighter. Go ahead, Karen. Uh, just ask about that day, Tara. Okay. Yeah. Ken, what was it like being here on 9-11? What was the day like? most frightening, uh, horrifying day of uh, anybody who was down here. You know, not just for me, but for everybody that was uh, down here. Our guys in this firehouse, you know, losing as many members as they did. They were the first ones into the South Tower. Coming down here, not knowing what was really happening, what was really going on until it finally hit over the radios um you know north tower south tower hit uh and then uh hearing over the uh division radios you know all units that are driving into uh one world trade center you're driving into a war that i mean literally set me back and um 
to know that this was our modern day Pearl Harbor. You know, um, I was down here three days later and uh, hundreds of ambulances at the Marine Terminal, none of them are moving. And I was at the top before the pile by Ray's Pizza and all these Chicago Fire Department, big husky guys coming out with the thousand yard stare, knowing there were no survivors. Uh, what were those following few days like? You know, the following, following few days afterwards, you know, I watched, um, I watched my guys from uh, Aviation Volunteer Fire Department go down to the pile. Um, I was told the day of 9-11 uh, when I was at St. Vincent's, don't come back. You know, it was, um, it wouldn't be good for my, you know, for my health, you know, and stuff. But my guys came down. And for us, just... Just surviving. You know, Steve, I, 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 Ken, right? Ken. I wanted to bring up to you, uh, Steve, I wanted to just bring up, you know, just as many firefighters have died since 9-11 from illnesses. It's up to 682 FDNY and 5,000 first responders on top of the 2,700 have died. 27,000 plus have cancer. Um, what do you think? Is the city doing a good job? You're overrun with illegals. You're at a 23-year high for felony assaults and crime. Is the city stepping up? I, you know, as far as, you know, I, I've, lo I've lost a lot of friends. The day of and the days afterwards. And a lot of the friends that I lost, I mean, just, it, it, it breaks, it, it still breaks my heart to this yeah. day. But as far as, uh, like, you know, is the city stepping up? Is the city uh, doing its uh, job and everything? I can't really say that for sure. Yeah. I didn't want to get political on it, but uh, yeah, it's I so tragic. Yeah. 125,000 people registered with the World Trade Center Health uh, Program right now. Well, you know, I, you know, I've been, uh, I've been looking to do that and everything. You know, I haven't, I haven't done it as, uh, as of yet. But I know at some point, I, you know, I have to get it done and uh, whatnot. Um, but I think the most important, most important thing for me to say is that for those of, for those that didn't come back on that day, for those that um, you know that are still uh, responding, uh, 23 NYPD, 37 Port Authority, 343 FDNY, one fire patrol. And a lot of other, you know, uh, maybe federal officers and court officers, you know, that were inside the towers that didn't make it out. You know, it's... Well, the city's it, grateful for all the first responders. 400,000 came through here to help, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, I was coming down here uh, this morning and everything, you know, driving down the West Side Highway and I got to about Christopher Street and there were people on the side with their signs, you know, thank you heroes and everything, you know, and that, I literally have to open up my window and say, you know, thank you for that. The silver lining. What would you say to Americans about 9-11? Never forget. If they, I mean, somebody, somebody um, made that a forever slogan, never forget 9-11. Never forget. Thank you guys, very much thank for your you service. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, thank you, guys. We'll be right back to you. Hang on for a second. Uh, Eli Crane. Uh, Fireman Ken Corrigan says, never forget. Uh, what are we supposed to not forget, Congressman Eli Crane? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step that up a notch, Steve, and I'm going to say, let's, instead of never forget, how about never again? I think that's much more important. Even though I do, I do want to remember every everyone and all the mistakes that we made up to that point and how that was able to happen in the first place. But I want to make sure that that never happens again. And if 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 that's going to be a reality, Steve, we have to we have to quit being arrogant. We have to we have to be smart. We have to be wise. We have to understand that there are plenty of people around the world and even people within our own country that wish us harm. And that takes, you know, that takes serious security 
measures being put in place. And most and more importantly, Steve, it takes us putting politics aside and actually, um, like I said, you know, putting the American people first. And we are clearly not doing that. And, you know, you can see it reflected all across the political spectrum, how many complete morons that we have in office. And um, you see it at the border, Steve. You guys do some of the best reporting in the world down there, um, if not the best reporting. And I know you guys understand how open that southern border is. Everybody, everybody around the world that has a desire to harm the United States of America knows that that border is open and there's a really good chance if they pay enough money and they work with the right groups, they can get their cells and their assassins <laughs> through that yeah. southern border. I, w- I want everybody to remember, as we remember today, the heroes, the innocent victims and the heroes of 9-11, that 22 years later, we have 110,000 illegal aliens in metropolitan New York. That is not my number. That is the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, who's looking right now. He said the city will be destroyed, and he's the guy that declared a sanctuary city. Last thing, we've got Ralph Norman coming up in a second. But, Eli, before I lose you, uh, Fireman Corrigan says never forget. Eli Crane says never again. Corrigan uh, brought up Pearl Harbor. I can tell you, having read, I think, every uh, every part of the testimony in the seven different commissions and committees to investigate Pearl Harbor. There's still many unanswered questions about Pearl Harbor. There is even in the official the official 9-11 Commission report, there are pages and pages that are absolutely blank, totally redacted about involvement of foreign governments in uh, in their association with 9-11. Do you believe that the basic premise of understanding, of never forgetting and never having happen again, is we must actually get to the bottom of what actually happened on 9-11 and who is directly accountable and who dropped the ball, but who, what other nations, people, people in this country are account, were involved, who's accountable, and who and what institutions either look the other way or drop the ball. Do you think that is a predicate to make sure this never happens again? Absolutely, Steve. Absolutely. Uh, Eli, how do people how do people get to you? What's your social media? This is going to be a firestorm when you get back on many different topics, from Ukraine to the budget to impeachment. You're one of the young leaders of this movement. How do people follow you? Uh, Rep Eli Crane on social media. Thank you, Steve, for all you guys do, and uh, uh, really appreciate the opportunity to come on today. Thanks, Eli. And thanks to all your folks out there in Arizona. Fantastic. Uh, Biden was in Hanoi last night. The Pentagon Papers, published by the New York Times, compiled by executives in the Pentagon, shows the lying that the government did, the bald-faced lying the government did about uh, our progress in Vietnam. The Afghanistan papers published by the Washington Post show the 20, almost 20 years of lying that the government did, the military did, about the situation in Afghanistan, the reality in the ground. And the Afghanistan papers they publish are every bit as damning as the, uh, as, uh, the Pentagon papers. Over the weekend, the uh, Secret Service agent of Jackie Kennedy uh, – uh, in the in the New York Times, not in uh, not in a Breitbart or not in Gateway Pundit or not at Citizens Free Press, but under Peter Baker, the lead White House correspondent of the New York Times, interviewed the Secret Service agent who completely eviscerated the magic bullet theory uh, with eyewitness testimony uh, from the day. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. came out last night and said that his uh, his testimony, by the way, he was never called before the Warren Commission. I want everybody to understand this. He was never called before the Warren Commission. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. says that his eyewitness account completely eviscerates the magic bullet theory, which has been the central uh, underlying predicate for the for the sole uh, um, for Lee Harvey Oswald or the lone gunman theory. This has happened over the last 24, 48 hours. 
Congressman Ralph Norman uh, joins us. Congressman, thank you. You've been one of the leaders about getting our financial house in order. People have to remember Osama bin Laden and his manifesto that he put out shortly thereafter on, on 9-11 to claim credit for it. He very specifically targeted Wall Street because he wanted to bring down the financial system that the United States uh, was the backbone of. Uh, 22 years later, our, our financial house is in complete disarray. Part of that is because of the spending that went on in the Iraq and Afghanistan war, but it's been much worse than that. Uh, where do you think we stand, sir? And how's, how does all of our financial situation actually go back to some of the, uh, some of the actions that were taken after 9-11? Well, first of all, Steve, thank you for you in the war room for putting a face with the tragedy that happened on 9-11 22 years ago. It's heart-wrenching to see the testimonies of the people that were there, and uh, so thank you for doing this. As far as the financial order, we've got an internal destruction of our financial system going on now. Um, I've been very frustrated with, uh, you know, we've been out a month, and I've come to the conclusion, Steve, it just isn't a priority of either the, the, the Democrats or the, the Republicans, to be honest with you, to get our financial house in order. You know, you always hear the numbers, $35 trillion in debt. Uh, what you don't hear is the all the agencies from Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, interest on the uh, 800-some billion for the military, which we're not even addressing with any of this that we're doing now. So um, at some point, we've got to make a, a stand. I think we are going to make a stand uh, with the Freedom Caucus and many others, Eli Crane being one of the real heroes of, uh, of what we're trying to do with government. But government's not going to do it on their own. Um, and Osama bin Laden, he, he did his part to destroy it from the air, and the internal bureaucrats are doing their part to destroy it uh, from the inside, unfortunately. And the Biden administration is front and center stage. Do you um, when you say I think it's pretty shocking, particularly for this audience, when you say it's not a priority, you, you know, today, every paper's got some 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 uh, aspect of of Kevin McCarthy coming back and being under tremendous pressure. Is your feeling that it's not a priority to get the spending? Because we've essentially partly done to ourselves what Osama bin Laden wanted to happen, which is to destroy the American economy, to destroy really free market capitalism and have this because you understood that a robust um, um, America, an America with a great co economy, with free men and women uh, adding to that economy and enjoying the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the fruits of liberty. He had, to, he had to take that out to have a global Islamic caliphate. We've done this to ourselves in the last 10 or 15 years. Are you telling me, are you telling the audience you don't think it's a priority right now of leadership of either the Republican Party or the Democratic Party? The number one priority is to get this house in order? It's not a priority. Now, if you hear their words, they say it is. But, Steve, we've been out now for five weeks. There's, I think, been two calls, caucus calls. Has spending been any part of it? No. Was there any magic or any reason for us not to be... Uh, back in on Capitol Hill debating the 11 remaining appropriation bills? No. Uh, any business in this country realizes when your house is on fire, you don't worry about the shrubbery outside. You go put the fire out. The fire that's burning in this country is our economic security, which is national security. Uh, and and why we're, we're here you know, remembering uh, today the 9-11 the tragedy. And the funding has got to go in the right uh, spots, not wokeism. Uh, you don't send diplomats to fight wars. And so that's what a group, there's a growing number of us who really uh, are ready to do battle with real cuts. I mean, the, the, you know, we, we've had our letter out with the Freedom Caucus about the 1.47 trillion pre-COVID levels. Uh, but the rescissions, which are just money that's, that's already been allocated but left over through a number of agencies, we don't want that to plus up the, uh, the budget right. to make it appear. So that's what we're battling, and I'm optimistic that we you are, but it's you just going to take work. You, you, you don't want optics. Can you hang on for one second? We'll just take a short commercial break. We're going to return with our commemoration of 9-11. Congressman Ralph Norman uh, joins us with the urgent business at hand. We'll be back in a moment.
Michael J. Lyons. Monica Ann Lyons. There's a lot to be nervous about out there. Open social media or turn on the news and all you see is crime and societal decay. A lot of people just run out and buy a gun and then it sits in a safe. If there's ever an emergency, they're not going to be prepared and run the risk of hurting themselves or others. There's no way around it. You need to train and you need to train often. Unfortunately, it's time consuming to go to the range, assuming there's even one nearby and ammo prices are through the roof. iTarget was invented so you could practice anytime in the safety and convenience of your own home. Simply download the iTarget Pro app, load your caliber specific laser bullet into your firearm and start training. Practice alone, compete with friends or use it to safely train friends and family who are new to firearms. Go to itargetpro.com and get 10% off at checkout when you use offer code Bannon. This is the smartest, safest way to train, which is why competitive shooters trust dry fire training as part of their regimen. Get yours today. That's the letter itargetpro.com. That's itargetpro.com. Offer code Bannon. itargetpro.com. Action, action, action. Edward Joseph Martovich. Charles Joseph Margiata. Louis Neil Mariani. Kenneth Joseph Marino. Lester V. Marino. Vita Marino. Kevin D. Marlowe. Jose Juan Marrero. John Daniel Marshall. Shelley A. Marshall. James Martello. Michael A. Martin. On uh, Carol Rooms coverage Peter of 22 C. years Martin. ago of the Teresa attacks of 9-11. Congressman, um, help me out here. Is this fight, because the country's kind of in the balance right now on, on many different aspects. And this is why I think it's so powerful on, on a day that everybody that is emblazoned everybody's mind, where they were 22 years ago when this great tragedy happened. Um, what action do you think the Republican Party, and particularly the MAGA wing of the Republican Party, is prepared to do over the next two or three weeks to make sure that we at least begin to start to set things right? Well, I compare it to a stairway, Steve. The longer stairway has got the first few steps. What we're willing to take the first few steps on is to, one, put the, the, the number at the pre-COVID levels as far as the dollars amount. As a part of that, and a group of us have been advocating for real border control. Uh, again, with what's happening now, it's encouraging another attack. And, you know, this administration has been tone deaf and, and unfortunately just unwilling to, to do anything about it. Uh, we've got over six to eight million people in this country. And as you mentioned, 100,000 in New York. It's kind of interesting, you know, uh, the uh, con Congressman. We've got we're going to have a we're going to have a clip at the eleven o'clock hour from Morning Joe where they're all freaked out now. They're saying it's a crisis in New York. Now they want more money. They want a fifteen or twenty billion dollar bailout, additional supplemental added to bail out New York City. Do they see the security concern of this? We have a hundred and ten thousand illegal aliens that are with very few checks on them. In New York City today, do the Democrats, the Biden administration, or even the Rhino Republicans understand the security risks we're taking? Not only do they not understand, they don't care. If they did, they would do something about it. A good friend of mine's son was just shot by a Syrian uh, dissident uh, last week. And so the, the security concerns are just not there. Maintaining power is the only thing the Democrats want. And why haven't they spoken up before now? And the money? Steve, where are we going to get the money? The, they say government, federal government, that's taxpayers' money. So there's no money to be gotten. But it will be interesting, the Republicans that go along, and I hope they don't. Uh, but I hope that uh, we will say no. Uh, they've, got to, they've got to row their own boat when it comes to uh, supporting those cities that are sanctuary cities voluntarily. And to, to, to now uh, claim that they've, it's a tragedy or it's, a, it's an emergency, that's their, it's on their shoulders, not the American taxpayers. Congressman, uh, you've been the leader of, of getting our financial house in order. 
the clock's ticking to midnight on the 30th of September, the end of the fiscal year. You guys were able to get, I think, 70 votes, Republican votes to go against the debt ceiling. McCarthy had to reach out to Hakeem Jeffries from Brooklyn to, to get those votes. I think he got 90 Democrats to vote with him. Do you believe you'll get 70? Do you have actually do you have right now you think 70 that will sit there and say we cannot continue along this path that we have to have real cuts, not not these optics and not this performance performative cuts that McCarthy's talking about now? I hope we do. I know we've got 20 plus, whether it goes up to 70. It, it ought to be two eight. If, if there's a number to get, Steve, it should be 218. I'm not naive enough to think that that's going to happen. But, you know, if not now, when? Now's a perfect time to to put our foot down and, and to say no to this continued spending. And, and if we don't do it now, I don't know when it is. Now, does it mean most likely a shutdown? Yes. Does it mean uh, he may go, probably has no option if McCarthy wants to pass the CR? He doesn't have the votes for the CR right now. So we'll see what happens. But it's time. It's been time to deal with it and to take some hard positions, which uh, the American people are waiting for. They don't trust government anyway, as you mentioned in your opening statement. Congressman, last question. If uh, McCarthy has to rely upon radical Democrats like Hakeem Jeffries to pass a CR and to kick the can down the road, which will lead to an omnibus and will lead to all the other madness with no end in sight, uh, do you believe he'll remain a Speaker of the House? If he goes to Democrats on this, Steve, um, if, if, he's, if he's willing to do that and put this country at risk, all bets are off on his speakership. All bets are off on that. So we'll see. He did it on the debt ceiling. Uh, but what's bothering me, we haven't even discussed it. And we should have been discussing it over the last five weeks. But all bets are off with that. Last question. Uh, your constituents in South Carolina, uh, where are they on this? Oh, they're, you know, they're hurting so much uh, at home. The businesses are hurting. Uh, they've, you know, the, the price tag that they're paying for everything, and so um, they they won't. They, do they want to? Sh- they don't understand a shutdown. We're going to spell it out to them what exactly that means on our media. Uh, I think they're behind getting our financial house in order, as every state should be. Congressman, how do people follow you? You're going to be one of the key members in the next couple of weeks of fighting uh, to get our financial house in order. How do people follow you? Sure. Norman.house.gov or Rep. Ralph Norman. Congressman, thank you for joining us this morning. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Steve. Let's go back. I want to let's go to the reading of the names. That'll take us out to the top of the hour. We're going to return. We're going to go back to David Zier, uh, Fireman Corrigan, all of that. Michael let's hear the Eric reading of the names. We'll be back after Michael a short commercial Edward break. McHugh, Jr. Robert G. McElveen. Donald James McIntyre. Stephanie Marie McKenna. Molly L. McKenzie. Barry J. McKeon. Evelyn C. McKinney. Daryl Laron McKinney. George Patrick McLaughlin, Jr. And lastly, my loved one, my late wife, Jennifer Lynn Howley, and her unborn child, a woman who brought so much love and joy to not only my life, but to countless others. 22 years seems like a lifetime ago, but there isn't a day that goes by where I don't think of you and your unbelievable smile. Your spirit lives on, particularly with the Performing Arts Center at your high school, which bears your name. It's where current and future students can learn about the believer, the resilient, the vibrant and stunning beauty that you were. You are, never for, you are forever missed, never forgotten, and forever respected. And my uncle, Paul Edward Jeffers, we love you, we miss you, and we are reminded and think of you every day. Robert? You should choose an air purifier like your life depends on it, because it just might. More than 35,000 wildfires have devastated the U.S. this year. The toxins and particles in wildfire smoke can penetrate our lungs and threaten our health. That's why EnviroCleanse developed military-grade air purification for your home. 
and they just announced their biggest sale of the year. Save a massive 30% off during their Labor Day sale. EnviroCleanse is specifically designed to wipe out airborne chemicals and viruses known to cause illness, allergies, and difficulty breathing. Even toxic gases and particles found in wildfire smoke are no match for EnviroCleanse. That's why the Department of Defense chose EnviroCleanse to protect the air on board our Navy combatants. And EnviroCleanse comes with a free professional air quality monitor so you know your family's breathing purified air. Now's the time to save 30% off your air purification unit. Get the free air quality monitor and fast free shipping. That's at 250 bucks savings. Visit ekpure.com and use code Steve. That's ekpure.com, code Steve. Let me repeat, ekpure.com, code Steve. ekpure.com, code Steve. Take action, use your agency, do it today, get the benefits of the sale. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67% and do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today, check it out. 